Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears and today we're getting personal to discuss misconceptions around women's libidos, sex expectations, how our mindset around our body image can affect our intimacy in relationships and how pregnancy can change our sex lives. But we are not alone to discuss these important topics. Today we have invited Naomi Hutchins onto the podcast, a clinical sexologist and relationship counsellor. Naomi has been working in the field of sexuality and relationships for over 17 years. Her journey into this field began with a commitment to address the perceived imperfections of sexual health education and relationship guidance in Australia. This ignited her passion and deepened her conviction to advocate for the rights of individuals to embrace their relationships and sexuality in the most welcoming and genuine manner imaginable. Naomi, welcome to the podcast. Well, we're really excited to have this chat. So Grace and I have numerous times over the podcast talked about how our bodies are making us feel and, you know, how that kind of affects us in an emotional level and a mental level. One thing we really wanted to dig down to is obviously how that affects us and our sex life. So we're really excited to have you on to have a bit of a chat. So Naomi, my first question is, I guess there's many stages of life, but what do your customers come to you about when it comes to body issues and their sex life? What's the most common themes that you're starting to see? To be honest, the most common thing I see is people who say their libido's disappeared. Yeah. Mm. And that then can include some of those things that you just mentioned. But the most common thing is, well, two things that around, like libido's either gone or how to manage that discrepancy in a relationship. So mm. someone wants more sex than the other and they're in a relationship and if it's monogamous how do we manage that yeah that's the most common thing I see probably yeah and is that due to our hormones or a stage of life they're at or is it just is it different for every woman yeah I definitely think uh, all sorts of things play into it right um definitely I'm sure that there's I know that so when I talk to people we're in Mm. perimenopause the time before they are in the menopause, um, that could definitely, um, you know, run run right on their body. But but mm-hmm. honestly, people, when they've just had babies, where yeah. people, when they're maybe trying to have babies, uh, there are IVF stuff, so they're put, uh, injecting things, you know, all, all of it. So many things impact sleep, like lack of sleep, mm-hmm. um, anxiety, a relationship difference, conflict, um, so, so many things. And people think that, you know, some of you may have heard of that, like the pink Viagra that they talked about. That's actually why it didn't work because it's not like that. The other Viagra that mm. helps people get erections, accidentally they found that out through something else. But that, again, it's not the same as like why people choose to have sex or want to engage or anything like that. So it's so many things, so many. So the pink Viagra, what was mm. its purpose? Supposed to make people, so I think it was, yeah, like trying to make people want sex, which is why, again, that I don't ever talk about taking pills that will help you do that. I'm sure some people take pills and say they feel a bit more energetic, but if you've still got Mm. issues, maybe you've got pain, maybe you don't feel good about your body, maybe you're not sexually confident, 
the list goes on, then you're not go- that's not going to do anything. So really, is it more of a mental, emotional driver that a lot of people struggle mm-hmm. with versus, I guess, when they're coming to see you versus the physical? I mean, it depends. I definitely see people who sex is all physical. They don't mm-hmm. really get much of a connection of it, like sort of in, emotionally. It is a physical release. But I definitely think um, for a lot of people, it's that they feel emotionally disconnected. So they then can't move into a space where they'd be open to sex. Also, just total unrealistic expectations about, oh, you should be spontaneously aroused. This should happen. Also, long-term monogamous relationships, that certainly impacts how people are sexually as well. Mm. There's just so many things. Mm. Mm. It's that um, me and my girlfriend say this all the time. A man can just get aroused and have an erection, but a we need to be have a good day. The kids have a good sleep. Everything work goes well. Like these things the end up affecting our sex <laughs> life, but they have nothing to do with the yep. actual what's happening in the moment. Yep, absolutely. And I think people will often talk about because we know folks who've got penises will often or more likely experience spontaneous arousal, where they kind of mm. desire. And an arouse and an erection all kind of happens at once, more likely. But I can tell you also, some people with penises don't experience that. What often happens is, particularly those with uh, vaginas and vulvas, will experience something called responsive arousal, where they don't necessarily get horny, or maybe they get a fleeting feeling of horniness Mm. and it's not the right time or whatever, but they make a decision. So they start to have sex from a non-aroused state usually or someone perhaps if they're in a relationship their partner initiates they decide to have sex and then as long as everything's okay they start getting aroused and it happens that way then they desire the person and then they are enjoying the experience so it happens the other way around which we're not taught um, told is the way that it's supposed to happen so Mm. coming back to sexpectations I remember having conversation with some of my friends and it came up one of the girls was asking well how often do you have sex and we all kind of froze because we were embarrassed or didn't know what to Mm. say and we didn't want to feel like excluded from where Mm. everyone else is at yeah so what are the misconceptions about libido expectations Mm. that we can just you know get off the plate right now I think the number thing is interesting and I know I've heard people who don't even have any background in Mm. like sexual behavior or anything and they're saying you better do it three times a week and whatever look if you're in a relationship and you like it three times a week and your partner likes it three times a week well clearly that's going to work for you but it's like you can't I don't think numbers are necessarily helpful unless the two of you are trying to work it out if there's two of you trying to work out what what's going to work for us you want it five times I want it four three two you know and then you come up with something what it is 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 just about where you're at at the season of your life and Mm. and go with that don't worry about what everybody else is doing who's that person who says like comparison is the thief of happiness or joy like that makes so much sense in this space Mm. it's not helpful it's actually not even helpful to compare yourself to your partner going oh if my partner's got a penis I've got a vagina I noticed that person or whoever if your partner's spontaneously aroused and you're not it's like you're too different you're experiencing your arousal differently so acknowledging that and usually what I see is a woman coming to me saying I'm broken something wrong with me how do I get like that and I'm like why are we saying Mm. how do we get like that what about just saying, here, this is you. Okay, how are we going to help this relationship have some sex then? You talk about seasons of life um, and I, you know, really early in the podcast you talked about obviously IVF and failure to conceive and how much around that um, kind of affects your sex life. And I've got a lot of girlfriends going through a very similar time and it's a time mm. that actually, you know, sex becomes this 
there's such expectations around sex, not in terms of enjoying sex and having sex and how much sex, but an outcome of having a baby. Yeah. And it really mm-hmm. it can kill your sex life. And then if you are successful, yep. you have a baby and that also kills your sex life. So <laughs> they're all breaks. Yeah. yeah. They're all breaks. So when when stuff like that comes up in life, how do you start to break down, you know, I guess the barriers that have been put up between a couple? I know this is a big thing to mm. unpack, but what are some of the tools mm. that you mm. can use? Because I know it's something that I think affects a lot of us. It's definitely affected me during certain periods of my life. Mm. Again, Grace mm-hmm. and I have talked about, you know, body image once you've had a baby mm. and also on IVF medication, your body changes quite significantly. Mm-hmm. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of mm-hmm. stuff going on there. And then on the male side, I'm, I'm sure there's all these pressures around performance that yeah, for sure. mm, that mm-hmm. factor mm-hmm. into it for them. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's a lot lot to kind of unpack there, but it is true. I think the one of the best things we can do is talk about it and acknowledge it because a lot of people just sort of mm. push it under the push it under the rug, so to speak, and not and and not talk about it. And, and then everyone's sitting with their assumption about what's going on. And yeah, it is true. I do actually see a lot of people who come to me. They've got a penis. Their partner's on IVF, whatever, and mm. they're struggling. Some of them are so nervous, and then they develop erection issues because they're scared. Because their partner's like, "Quick, quick, quick! Mm. We've got this amount of time. You need to get here." And then it's like, "Oh, now I've got to have an erection right now." And and I've also had some people kind of be a bit resentful because they said, yeah. oh, we weren't having that much sex. And then all of a sudden my partner wants, she wants me to have sex all the time, which I kind of mm. should be happy about, but no, I'm not. Cause now I'm like, you only want me so that my sperm, we can have a baby and then it's going to stop. So there's just all this stuff. And again, mm. this is going to be very individual depending on who I'm talking to. Um, but yeah. And then the person who's um, wanting the baby and that's a, fo- yeah, a focus. I think, um, yeah, there's just so many layers to it. And I think talking about it, you know, kind of just saying, hey, this is a rough time, um, you know, and I'm missing just having sex for pleasure or I'd love it if we can, you know, mm. I know we want a baby too, but how do we make sex that's also just about fun and, yeah, kind of having those conversations I think are helpful, just acknowledging this, you know. Yeah. Um, doesn't necessarily make it go away, but I think being, I just think more people need to be realistic about this and and I think sex is put on this I don't know this special pedestal or something I'm not saying that that is a bad thing I understand everybody's got their everybody has different values and beliefs about sex but I think when we do that we kind of sit there we're tortured and thinking there's something wrong Mm. with us when there are many things in our life our careers parenthood like all of these things where you have pull and push and stresses and then you love it and whatever and um even like going out to dinner if you love going mm. out to dinner sometimes it's boring sometimes it doesn't turn out how you want but we we seem to do this with sex there's so much pressure that it's going to be perfect i'm like why would sex be perfect and blow your mind every time do you think porn and only fans has mm-hmm. created this fantasy for people and therefore kind of warped their idea of what mm-hmm. their sex a healthy sex life is look i mean um i think it it's it's complicated because i know that people have always watched people have sex right mm. then then the internet came along and so that just made it like oh we can get anything so you like horror movies you can just find all the violence and horror you want on there you like sex you can do that too what i what i think is i mean i can talk about it with social media sometimes it creates these ideas of how things are so it's not necessary. For some people, porn's really positive. It's like, oh, look at that body. That person's got mm. breasts. Their labia's like this. Their penis is like this. Yeah. Um, maybe no one's ever seen 
a person of the same gender have sex with someone of the same gender. So there's positives as well. But what I think is we all need to remember there's the porn world and then there's real world sex. Mm. So it's like when we look at magazines or now, you know, what, how I grew up looking at magazines, no one ever told me they were edited. So I just thought everybody looked mm. like that. Now mm. it's the same with social media and stuff, right? I think we have to, I think it's helpful with porn to have some sort of framework, like a critical framework like we do, or even romantic movies. Like they're so bloody unhelpful. Like if all you ever watch is romantic movies, I'm not telling you not to. I'm just saying, remember, real life's not like that. Families Mm. aren't always like that. Seas aren't always like that. So with porn, I think um, we just need to remember that there's aftercare. What you're seeing uh, whether it is an actual couple who are choosing to show you um, their sex, you're still not seeing the beginning, what happened before, or any porn that you're watching. Like they might be, hey, I'm going to take you from this way. I'm going to, oh, I need some Viagra. Can't get a can't get an erection right now. Hey, I'll mm. just pretend I'm coming this way. So you don't see any of that. You just see a scene, which is people mm. having sex, but but they're often acting. So mm. I think we just need to remember that, yeah, and absolutely it's it's created all sorts of bother with like um, body stuff. Um, that's why feminist and ethical porn came about because people mm. wanted to show diversity of bodies and skin colour and what people are doing. But so I think it's just important to remember that that's still not real life. We have real life sex where we're managing babies, careers, friendship breakups, family stuff. Uh, paying bills and the monotony of everyday life that's what you don't see in porn or tv really you Mm. know so that's kind of how I look at it hey it's grace here just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy delicious meal plans with full shopping lists and at five dollars fifty or under per serve it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus, fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. So you were saying, you know, obviously it shows different ways people are having sex. How do you start having those conversations with your partner? So, you know, people enjoy certain things that, probably feel a bit too, especially in my generation, yeah. I feel like, and this might be, you know, me not understanding the 20 to 30 year olds, but I do feel like they're a lot more open <laughs> about talking about mm-hmm. sex. They talk oh, about sex are. with their friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you Well, are. we've definitely like, had a different, yeah, there's a st- different lot of stuff going on, right? With social media, there's been some sex positivity that's around that we, oh, I'm nearly 50 that I did not have. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, sure in, you know, know. I'm in my early 40s and yeah. I, I still mm-hmm. I struggle to talk about it with my friends. Like I wouldn't have a conversation yeah. with my girlfriends mm-hmm. about my sex mm-hmm. life at all. Um, yep. Yep. But, so how do you, I'm sure there's people out there that really struggle to broach those subjects with their partner even, of, you know, what they like, yep. what they Absolutely. enjoy. And especially if you're mm-hmm. testing boundaries and saying, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we're into swinging, maybe I'm into something that's mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. outside of what their comfort zone is. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. what kind of conversations can you start to have? Look, I mean, I think um, some people start off and they are open, so that kind of mm. creates a, a good foundation for that, but many people don't. Or maybe what, what I notice sometimes is one person's a bit open, they get with someone who isn't, and then it's almost like the more open person becomes quieter and shuts down because they don't want to, like, make their partner embarrassed or uncomfortable. But the only way we can change things is by having a conversation, which is often uncomfortable if you're not used mm. to it. 
And isn't it funny that we make babies with people or we make lies, we build houses, we put our banks together sometimes, you know, we do all this stuff and then don't talk about that yeah. like, for a lot of people. So it's like that's the only way. And I think particularly why some people, if they have like say a one-night stand or something, sometimes people will be very different sexually with someone they assume they won't see again, whereas the person that they do life with, they're like, oh, my God, I, I, I just asked them to do this, stick that there, do that, now we're going to have a coffee together in the morning. This is going to be weird, you know. It's like they're, they're, they're like I have this almost persona for some people, of uh, the mother, the father, parent, whoever you are, um, and then it's like how do I go from that to that? You know, so and then if you've been together for a while and you've got this sort of status quo, your sexual script already, and then it's like you want to change it. Ooh, how does this? This is scary and vulnerable. I want to go back to um, talking about body positivity and body image because mm-hmm. I've said to you before, I am at the heaviest I've ever been in my life, mm-hmm. and because of this, I find putting a bikini on very insecure. Or even underwear and my partner being around. And I'm mm. very conscious that he's very fit. He goes to the gym and I feel like he's stepped up and I'm not at the same attractiveness level as him. And therefore, I don't really want to be intimate with him because he looks like that and I look like this. Mm. And I was wondering, how do I overcome this mindset mm. and mm. kind of mm. love my body? Because I find if I love my body, I want to be with him more. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because you use the term body positivity and there's that whole love your body stuff, which don't get me wrong, I think that is okay. But I also like the idea of body neutrality that some of us aren't ever going to get to that, like, Mm. I'm so sexy. Yeah, I'm okay like this. More like I think or how I just interpret body neutrality is just an appreciation, a curiosity for where my body is today. Like I suppose I'm, I'm going to be 49, so things are sagging a lot. And that's like trying to sit with, oh, okay, so this is what happens. This is what my body looks like now. Uh, and knowing all the shit that I grew up with, what I heard, it's very hard mm. to just let that go. I think trying to just sit with that and that sometimes you'll probably have better days than others um, and that you can still find pleasure even if you're not feeling like you're so sexually confident and like, you know, enjoying sex the way some people do when they just, you know, like super non-apologetic, this is me, have, have a good time. So I think just trying to work where you're at, at where you're at and knowing that this takes time. But I do think it's really important that a good way to use social media and stuff, I think, is really diversifying your feed by looking at different shapes mm. of bodies, um, looking for the people who are totally activists in the fat phobic space looking and talking about being sexy at all different sizes and stuff but that can definitely help I think if the more your brain sees that because if you've grown up like I know I grew up without that like I knew that I thought Mm. that everything I saw like even I I can't remember if I said this to you before about like I grew up with like Cosmo and Cleo's and they had a sealed section yeah, I had Dolly. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. How I remember Dolly too. So I remember opening it up and, you know, I would see vulvas. But, in fact, I found out once I've been in this field for 20 years and when I got in there I found out that actually there was a rule in our country here in Australia that they would actually still modify that. So any labia or clitoris that were hanging outside of those outside labia would actually be digitally removed anyway. So we weren't seeing that. So, you know, I, like I think it's like how right horrifying. I went to I this brings back. I went to Mona, um, down in Tasmania. Yes, yes the wall of the, the wall, wall of, of vaginas. The it is, yeah. The, and yeah, can yeah. I just say mm-hmm. I was shocked 
I had same no, like, and, as a and I was oh. yeah sizes difference that people's lips hang mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. that I totally, just didn't totally. and I was you know thirty by this stage oh wow I had, yeah, yeah yeah I was a lot older I just didn't it's know because we didn't know right so that's why I loved it when they did that but that's why if anyone's whoever's listening if you want to go have a look on Instagram at the vulva gallery look at the website labia library or you can look at the wall of vulvas at Mona but I that's exactly what I mean about if you don't know you you're seeing that thing oh mm. this is what they look like so then there's a whole bunch of people no actually plenty of people have large clitorises that look like small penises people have lopsided different size and if you see that so that's what some of my clients are coming to me because they can't look at their vulvas and one of the things I say is I want you to start doing this and some of them can only do it for like a second but eventually mm. it's like a desensitization thing and then they go oh so that's why I talk about with the bodies. I, I'm like, if you only see a certain shape and only look a white body, this color hair, you know, we need to see diversity of humans. And and yeah. people don't always have two arms, you know, like they, they, people have hair and they're women. You know, if you keep doing that, that can help tackle that. It's not the the answer to it all of course, but it is helpful to see representation of real bodies. Like I might just go to bloody Europe where they all go naked mm. to the beach. You'll see real bodies, okay? Lopsided yeah. boobs, no boobs, big boobs, men have boobs. Like seriously, that that's that's what we need to see more of. And, and if you do that, I think that can help. Again, not going to stop everything, but it'll help. You realise, wait a second, th- this is how bodies are. And who says that I don't get to have sexual pleasure because my body doesn't look like that? You know, as a mum, when do you like? Obviously, these weren't conversations I was having with my mother, but they are mm. conversations that I probably should be having with my daughter now that mm-hmm. I think the world is changing and that we are becoming a bit more open. And I can see yeah. it as such a positive thing. So, when do you start having these conversations? Is it a gentle thing throughout the years? When I talk about sex education, I think people automatically mm. go to penis goes in vagina and that sort of thing. Sex education is a bunch of stuff and it does start from the get-go. And when I mean that, I mean mm. for starters, just naming the right body part. So you're changing a nappy and then you're like, that's your penis, that's your testicles, that's your vulva, little things like that. Or also, which people get really freaked out about, and I think there was a segment on some TV thing where someone was talking about asking to change nappies of course you can't fully get consent from a baby but what the Mm. idea is is just to start saying oh I'm going to change your nappy now so that we start telling people I'm touching your body and this is why I have to do this and Mm. that's it just things like that even like you can go like the hug something I never did I grew up uh, you know, I had a baby really young and my daughter was Aboriginal, had so many aunties and uncles. She had such a lovely big family. She was also very anxious sometimes. And what I would do in my people-pleasing mode was sometimes she wouldn't want to hug everybody. And I'd yes. say, go, go hug this, this, this. And I didn't want to offend them without compl- completely dismissing her. So as I, you know, that's a long time ago. She's 30-something now. But I, I tell parents when I used to do parent um, or caregiver mm. classes is that this is how you can start. Sex education is about also consent, just saying, hey, would you like a hug? And if they say no, um, what, what do you want to, you know, do you want to just wave? Do you want to do a fist pump or something? You, you know, things like that. And then if someone in the family, Auntie Joe says, hang on a minute, you know, it's like, no, in our family, we ask for hugs. And if someone doesn't want to, they don't have to do it. So this yeah. is all parts of the ways that you're showing consent, body autonomy and things like that. And it's not always going to go perfectly well because our stuff comes up. So we got to work on our stuff. So if mm. someone's touching themselves, which kids do, 
you can say, hey, I can see that you're touching your vulva, um, but we don't do that at the kitchen. You know, we don't pick our nose at the table. We don't touch our vulva or our penis. Just go do that in the bathroom or whatever, you know. Just even if on the inside you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But the more you do that, you're teaching. Like we teach them other big things, how to do shoelaces, how to say long, huge words like hippopotamus Mm. and all of that. I'm like, yeah, you can say vulva. And also that's your clitoris because that, has been left out of the equation for a long time. You know, yeah. I don't know about you, but when I went to sex ed, I got ta- told about wet dreams, which are the the word for, what is it, nocturnal emissions when, when mm-hmm. people with penises come at, during their sleep. But yeah. actually people with vulvas actually do that too, but we never talked about that. So in my classes I used to bring that up. No, and masturbation was always a male thing. Yeah. Like right. masturbation Absolutely. was never a, fail, a female thing. It was always that, you know. Young boys start yep. masturbating at mm-hmm. the age of yep. 12 or 13 mm-hmm. or 14 or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that conversation for girls. And no. I think girls no. still struggle with the concept of talking about masturbation. And, you know, and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that sort of brings me to as well that girls then also have an issue with boys masturbating. So there's a yeah. large percentage Absolutely. of my generation who... You like kill their partners uncomfort- off for masturbating. Exactly. Are very uncomfortable with their partners masturbating because yeah. they don't masturbate and they were also taught in mm-hmm. school that masturbation is a little bit unclean and un, you know, it's yep. not something yep. you really want mm-hmm. to know about and you kind mm-hmm. of tell off a boy mm-hmm. for masturbating. Yeah, hideous. There's so many messages there that are gendered stuff. But also, I mean, even when you said it's a bit dirty or unclean, it's funny. I always say, I used to teach human sexuality at uni Mm. and I used to say to my clients, here, here's an assignment. Next time you go to the supermarket, I want you to go find some penis wipes. And they'd be like, what? And I knew that they never would be able to find them because there was, as far as I knew, there was no, no such thing. But then I'm like, yeah. I bet you'll be able to find the feminine wipes with the flowers all over the packaging. You because do, yeah. It's an assumption that vulvas stink. Or you, do you yes. know what I mean? That if you think about it, there's just layers to this stuff, which then means I get a whole bunch of women that will talk to me and say, oh my God, I won't let anyone go down on me, even though that's a really nice way that I can come. But I'm worried about the way I smell and, you know, layers upon layers. It's all there. <laughs> I feel like female. Um... We have to keep ourselves tidy and clean down there and the pressure, Mm -hmm. whereas men don't have that. They just think that their penises look great and Mm -hmm. all the hair in the world is fine. And I'm like, no. And they're seeing diversity. And they actually only want to shave to make themselves look bigger. But then (laughs) it's not to do with anyone else. It's not to do with the female. It's not to do with the female having to go down on them any of that kind of stuff yeah. they just mm. they think they look bigger mm. <laughs> yeah and I think they've often grown up just seeing other penises and so because most mm. of us grow up with not seeing um pictures of vulvas or anything and like some parts of it are tucked away some aren't that that's that creates issues too so um even though also many many people with penises panic about their size too but mm. they are seeing the diversity in a flaccid penis that some very what appear to be large flaccid penises only grow a little bit more when they get when they get erect and then some that you know um are a different size will you know change they, they'll see they get to see so much more whereas people with vulvas don't and I think it would just be helpful hence why I usually send people to look at just just get get comfortable with looking at vulvas looking mm. at your own vulva some people have had babies and they've never even looked down there mm. but coming back to like the educational piece so that's how we can 
talk to our children at home mm. and kind of educate mm. them mm. in our homes. Mm-hmm. But the school, my partner's a teacher at the moment, and the sexual education they teach at school is probably the same that Clara experienced and I experienced. Mm. Like it's not yeah. very good. Is yeah. there a way we can change this? Look, I mean, I've been in this, again, I've been in this field for such mm. a long time and used to advocate of doing that. But unfortunately, the whole of it, I'll just speak Australia Pacific, specific. We, we, we don't have like a one curriculum that goes everywhere. It's all very ad hoc. I talked to someone who goes to this, it was in this state and this state. Um, and so quite often, and it's always that this, instead of like, um, I, you know, if, if it was just there and part of the curriculum, then if you really didn't want to, you opt out. But now it's always like mm-hmm. you've got to, often it's opt in. And again, there's this idea. I mean, I'm living currently in Queensland. I was in South Australia and I definitely think they're a little bit more forward around stuff. Everyone's a bit different. I know there was huge pushback in Queensland for the Safe Schools program, for example, which was actually I saw it. I was doing like it, it was not what they were saying. It was hideous. And so that was actually mm. really helpful about inclusivity and stuff like that. Um, but even just sex ed is often just very, very um, biological. And, and, you know, I had some people like I was doing stuff where I was talking to little people and I would always say, this is what a wet dream is. So this is actually when, you know, and I said, but also if you've got a vulva, sometimes there's a feeling you get. And I would describe that. Now, some schools were like, oh, my gosh, this is great. Then other schools mm. saw that one slide and hated it, which I find very interesting. So they were okay with me saying that a penis ejaculates to children, um, but I mm. wasn't allowed to say that a vulva can actually have an orgasm too. Like I find, again, what is that? What is that mm. telling us? So mm. there was that. But it was like I had schools say, now, yeah, yeah, we heard about you. Go in there, but can you just leave abortion out? Don't tell anyone that's a choice, that's an option, you know, things like that. Was that yeah. um, I was religious based Catholic or was school, that yeah. just mm. it was Catholic school? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they wouldn't even like me just saying, here's some choices. If you find yourself with an unplanned pregnancy, there are only three things you can do and just do it like they were very anti, you know, it's just interesting. So I would, I ended up only going to spaces mm. where, you know, they would allow me to talk openly about things that everybody got, you know, so they could get their options kind of thing. But again, this is, um, uh, you know, like we know that, for example, like in the United States, mm. When Obama was in, he pushed back actually and did that. He was helpful. But before that, schools would only even get funding if they only taught um, abstinence-only education. And, you know, schools are crying out for money, so they did that. Um, yeah. And teachers were trying to go around it. And we know that doesn't work. If you look at any proper uh, sex education studies, abstinence doesn't delay. In fact, it often means people have unplanned pregnancies. Talking about sex and pleasure often helps people delay their sexual activity mm. with other people because they're open and they masturbate and they, you know, or they'll make better decisions. Like when they do decide to have sex, it'll be more informed and they're likely to use contraception or whatever. Mm. And hopefully the the girls will be more willing to have pleasure because mm-hmm. a lot of young girls, they don't have an orgasm. And adult women. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All I, the time. I, All the time. I, I didn't for years. Like I definitely was in my mid to late 20s before that happened for me mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't know what that was. I'm sure it was a mixture of probably not being with the right people. Um, mm-hmm. Let's be honest, I had shit ex-boyfriends. <laughs> That's why they're ex-boyfriends. I, I, had, a, I had a great cha- choice in men when I was younger. Um but I also think it was me just not being comfortable. 
in the situation totally. and and me Absolutely. thinking that it was all about me giving pleasure not really about me taking pleasure and also like if you're a person was... with a vulva and a vagina and you're having sex with someone with a penis penises i don't have one but i have again everyone tells me who has a penis it's actually quite a reliable way to come if you put your penis inside something mm. but for someone with a vagina and a vulva in fact that isn't it is mm. it is only about 20 percent so that's like 80% of everybody else with a vulva vagina who cannot come through penetration. Mm. It's not a reliable way to come. Most people with a vulva come through sort of direct stimulation on the, the, the head of the clitoris or mouth, someone's mouth on their vulva. Mm. Um, but I think that all, again, flows back to gendered stuff. I think it was Freud who said, if you don't have an orgasm, something along these lines he wrote, but if you don't have an orgasm through penetration, it's an immature orgasm or something like that. So I just think, and a lot of people will continue to, if they've got someone with a penis, they'll have this penetration, which is not their most favourite way to come, but they'll keep mm. doing it because they think that's how you're supposed to come. And maybe their partner thinks that too. Why can't you come like this? Or they'll say, oh, yeah, I come, but I've got to touch myself. And I'm like, yep, you're coming. You're still coming. That's what's happening. But they were like, specifically, yeah. that's the way to come. I'm like, and this, orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm. But, mm. um, yeah, so they won't even talk about the ways that they come or they think there's something wrong and they strive for this P and the V orgasm, which some people do have, um, but it's less common. Yeah. But you wouldn't which think also, that, would you? <laughs> no. You think that's the gold standard. So a lot of people Good sit point. there and that's what they're trying to achieve the whole time. So, Literally. And I think that's well, male. at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's male and female is this idea that, yes, you know, the male thinks, oh, I could do it when I've got the penis in there and I'm coming and that's what she wants. And then the yes, female yes, on the yes. other female side is like, well, that's almost a romanticised picture of what I, you know, what mm-hmm. should be happening mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure yes. that's what's happening with my friends. I've never asked them because that's an awkward conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure that's what it is yep. and I've read it in books, so yep. surely that's what I'm supposed yep. to have. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I get it. For some people, they like the idea. They like the idea that their partner's inside them, so so emotionally yeah. this feels good and I understand that. But also I think if they knew the way that they're in the rest of the clitoris, which is inside your body, was you would understand why most people don't come that way. Yeah, right. I almost yeah. think like when they teach sex ed, they actually need to teach where the clitoris is. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, how to find your G spot? Like I know it's mm-hmm. a bit in depth, but mm-hmm. it would not be handy. Not. I mean, in the G spot is really again that's named after Grafenberg. It's after a man. It's just where we think all the inside parts of the clitoris kind of come together. If you see it, like because mm. I mean, you're not your your people aren't got, who are listening to this aren't going to see this, but this is the shape of the internal structure of the clitoris, right? So um, this is the part that you usually see. So the so, glands for so everyone else, different it sizes. Looks- it almost looks like, like a wishbone. Wish and, and these are just, so if you do it, just look up the internal structure of the clitoris. And this is the actual regular sort of average size. Can you believe that? And we it's only tiny. knew that about mm. um, 20 something years ago. And it's the first Australian urologist did this. She looked at, at dead bodies and mm. had a look and realized, wait a second. So, so what you see in this sort of curved part is, you know, where the mom's pubis on the top, which is why for a lot of people touching that sort of part even on the top can feel good. But this is like a penis as well. They're, they're very mm. similar. Clitoris and penises fill up with blood. 
But so if you're putting something inside here, the walls of the vagina don't have a lot of um, feeling. I mean, it makes sense to mm. not have a lot of nerve endings there. Sometimes when they're really swollen, that's why people can come. But often it's more this. These, these are sitting underneath where the labia are, which is why I so say rubbing and whatever. But again, some people have bigger hoods, the glands over, over the um, clitoris. Other people don't. And you've just got to work out where it is. And I think my thing is, is about stop trying to come the way you think you should and find out the way you come, which everybody's yeah. going to be different. Yeah, but if people knew this, I think, and saw that, they go, oh, that makes sense. That's why I don't really get so much pleasure this way or or whatever. But, again, that was only not that long ago. They used to just put a little dot on pictures on medical stuff and wouldn't say anything about a clitoris, which sucks. Isn't it amazing? You're not the only person that's brought this up. I, we spoke to some doctors and some naturopaths and how, like, the studies around women's health, with it, whether it's perimenopause or um, sex mm. or pregnancy like the research has only come out in the last 15 20 years it's like there's been a gap and it's mm-hmm. like oh women are 50 percent of the population now we should probably start working out how we can help them yeah absolutely absolutely I think that urologist was like because she was working and you know I think when men were coming in to have um like x-rays and stuff putting some stuff you know over the body so that, that wouldn't get damaged and then she was like what's going on with women and that's how she worked out that um oh actually there's this huge part the clitoris is actually quite large and inside the body um and Mm. it can take like 40 minutes up to an hour for it to get fully erect you know so people sometimes rush to pee in the v and then wonder what's wrong with them they say i'm taking too long and i'm like this is subjective and also this is for a lot of people too long it's just because you're comparing it to the person with a penis Mm. it's different you know, mm. but even if you are, if it's two women together, sometimes someone will come at a different time because you're just all unique individuals. Absolutely. And that, I mean, mm. that's a, oh, this is a whole other topic that we probably would need a whole new segment. But that's the other side of it is that exposing, you know, well, not exposing, but opening up the young, like teenagers and stuff to that different concept of seeing women on women and men on men and that mm-hmm. being okay mm-hmm. and them finding pleasure mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. as I said, that's probably a whole new topic. But we've really yeah. spoken yeah. about heterosexual sex here. We haven't mm-hmm. really spoken yeah. about all of those diversities that live within sex. And, you know, even heterosexual yeah. sex has diversities as well. And it's it's such Absolutely. a big... Absolutely. That's why the orgasm gap brings up, when they talk about the orgasm gap, The of it, it, it's people with penises who have the most most orgasms, but also it, women who have sex with women, whether they're bi, pan, mm. lesbian, whatever, but when you have sex, they're more likely to have an orgasm. And that probably because then they're not necessarily that women know each other's bodies, but there's not this expectation of penetration, see? You can still pe- penetrate, of course, yeah. they can do all sorts of things, penetrate, but there's not, so then... That's that thing I would say to people, queer up your sex. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, queer really is just anything in a, in a nutshell, going mm. to, you know, is that something that's not just P and the V. And so yeah. even I'm talking a lot to, you know, cisgender, heterosexual people and saying this and I'm like, just not, don't make that your hierarchy. So mm-hmm. they'll often say, oh, we haven't been having sex for six years. And I'm like, okay. And then I say, so no sexual activity? And they go, yes oh, yeah, 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 we've been doing this, 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 or they'll use the term foreplay, which I don't use because mm. I think what that does is is make it seem like everything you do before the big big thing, which is P in the V. I'm like, you can do all sorts. You can be having amazing sex by yourself in a room but with your partner who's in another country on the phone. It's mm. like why don't we talk about just let's go play and then sometimes it's penetration, sometimes it's not, which then opens mm. up your script to lots of things if you've got a 
vaginal pain, someone's having erection issues. Like it's not just reliant on the, the P and the V for the, that's the definition of sex. Mm. Like, but that is something so important to teach our teenagers when mm. they are starting to mm-hmm. sexually experiment and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that, especially because I think there's so much pressure around losing your virginity and losing your virginity Right, because of is... what's virginity? The idea is P and the V. Exactly See? right. It is. Right? Exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so that yeah. always is setting us up from a really young age that that's your end goal. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, and even that's breaking it. that that's down, the that's the hierarchy and even breaking it down and saying, well, actually, if there's other stuff that you're comfortable with, you know, you can do things that bring mm-hmm. pleasure into your body that mm-hmm. doesn't have to be that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and starting to open them up to there is a whole other realm out there that doesn't Way have to, to be, be sexual. penetrative mm-hmm. sex. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, that sort of emphasis on P and the V, it's just so erasing of people's Mm. pleasure and also just then I often see a lot of people with something called vaginismus where they can't have anything inside their body it's painful and all all of that because they've worked themselves up so much about this one thing and quite often commonly I see people who are particularly those who are from particular religious backgrounds that Mm. really really say this is what you've got to do they're doing everything but that so then when Mm. the wedding night happens there's like so much stress they're in pain there and you know and it's like why can't I get pleasure from this and it's just like if we if we focused on pleasure as your measure rather than um p going in the v that's sex you know like yeah. it's, it's unhelpful so I will talk about it in I don't even use the term virginity either we we in this sort of space call it your sexual debut okay, because for some people that. yeah it's like when you're sexual when are you sexual but for some people the first sex they have is not even consensual unfortunately Mm. and so Mm. then it's like what does this mean especially for people who are very very much there's the emphasis on p and the v and you know all of that and so yeah so if we unpack that like your sexual debut the one that you wanted you chose and you did and what that looked like Mm. whether it's just with yourself or with someone else (laughs) but maybe if we educate our teens a bit more Mm. like people when they do have their sexual debut it might Mm. be more of a positive experience they knew about like exploring their bodies and and things Mm. like that then that way then when they are sharing their body with someone else um they'll say oh this is how I can do this this is I know how to orgasm this is my body I can share this with you rather than kind of this expecting the other person to make you come which is a big thing not just for young people like all the time it's like it's my job I'm like it's not your job you might Mm. give each other pleasure together in fact but it's your job to know hey what do I like I'm going to share this with you and tell you because then it becomes this thing of I've got to make you come I've got to do this which is Mm. so ridiculous awful like that's so much pressure so Mm. much pressure instead of going let's share how do we have pleasure together what does what do we need what do we each need Naomi, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It has been such a delight. And for anyone who wants to learn more, we'll put links in the show notes below. Like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.